This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. G'day there. Thanks for listening. My guest this episode is Australian stand-up comedian and marathon runner, Mickey D. Mickey and I caught up backstage at a gig. We talked about his love of marathons and how he got into those. We talked about stand-up comedy, growing up in Adelaide, and what it was like performing on Mount Everest. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Mickey D, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you, mate? Good, brother. Thanks for having me. Oh, no worries at all. Thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, we currently sit uh, in the green room at the Comics Lounge, North Melbourne, uh, Australia. Great venue. Where we, yeah, it is. Where we've been gigging this week. You're in town headlining the Comics Lounge, Wednesday to Saturday. That's right. But you also came over a couple of days early mm. for your run uh, at the lounge for a run in the Melbourne Marathon. Yeah, my third crack third at the 42.2 kilometre course. Just the thought of it. Jeez, my knee aches, just the thought of that, mate. But you finished it, obviously. Yeah. Um, this time around was to help out a, a mate of ours. I was um, I wrote Dilruk Jayasinha a, a training program, which mm-hmm. is stuck to like a, a legend. And then uh, I'm not as fit as I'd like to be. So I said, would you do with having me as a... A wingman on the day, mm-hmm. so I, I paced him. Yeah, so that just means you're just trotting along, trotting along, having a chat, yeah. getting him waters. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, pointing out the little magic bits of a marathon. Yeah, uh, but you're still running. Oh, forty-two point two kilometers between, between you and I. I'm still hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. he's here's my smoke screen. But, yeah, so there's a couple of points he kicked. Like, a, yeah. a, you know, an inspirational song must have come through his headphones, mm-hmm. and he's he's up, he's up and away, and I'm like, oh god. I'm, he's pacing me now. <laughs> but, yeah, it's always a, always a good journey, the marathon. You go through a gamut of feelings, the highs and lows. Mm. The, you know, everyone's got their theory. A marathon really starts at 30Ks. To me, it starts when you begin. Mm. Uh, and then you, you might feel shit out for the first four kilometres. Body gets into it. There's times where I've got five or six in and I've gone, who's fucking idea is this? <laughs> you know, it's still dark. Yeah. You know, the full moon's still up. 
over the Swan River once. <laughs> I was running in Perth and for seven kilometres. I'm going, this is horrible. And then uh, then 10Ks later, you, you know, I couldn't, you know, bear the thought of running 16K mm. someday. But then all of a sudden you're like, I feel great. Mm. And then 2Ks later, you're horrible again. It's, <laughs> it's like life. Yeah. <laughs> what made you get into marathons in the first place or just running long distance? It's a transportable sport. Now, you know, because I'm gigging every other week in a different city. Uh, you know, you can't commit to team sport. Used to love my cricket, mm. played um, played good footy and good cricket all through high school and then uh, to my early adult years. And, um, yeah, you can't do that anymore. So one thing you can do, take a pair of shoes with you, the appropriate running gear, and you just go for it mm. in every other city. You know, you can take a set of golf clubs as well pretty easily on a flight. Look, I'm useless. I can't <laughs> use You should see me bat, even if it's something with wider as a cricket bat. Oh. Nah, golf, I'm not patient enough, mate. <laughs> At what age did you get into it? Where did you think I'm going to start running uh, Did you always have a good motor all through? Yeah, I did actually. I was a, um, loved running, uh, sprinting in the 400s, primary school. Bit of high, high school was all about the team sport though. But 400 was your specialty, was it? Yeah, but you know there was that there was that really tough year, year five, year six, where all the girls had matured before the boys, mm-hmm. and it was neck and neck. They yeah. were great years, mm-hmm. like where you know it's that it's such a silly thing. It's like oh, you can't get beaten by a girl, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved the fact that everyone was a contender, and it was yeah, it was that high high pressure <laughs> to go back to being ten and a half again. That was. Yeah. <laughs> That was awesome. You know, Dallas Whitburn was uh, – she hand, she handed me my own ass one recess <laughs> she could move. And don't get me started on uh, on Rebecca Wilson. <laughs> she could move too. So how I was uh, – it was 2009, I did my first half marathon in Melbourne. It was uh, – you know, I had to change my life around because, you know, the, the excessive nature of life on the road and just free drinks. Thank you, multiple comedy clubs <laughs> around the planet. Uh, some uh, good mate of mine, we were around his for dinner and his sister dared us to um, do the Melbourne half mm-hmm. and he shouted at me. I thought, okay, we trained together and we did that and then I got I got the bug. Yeah, right. Because it's a similar release. Like, I used to give it a good nudge, the partying and whatnot, you know, and they say similar brain chemicals are released. Uh, but I, I looked at the biology behind it, and those chemicals released as a survival mechanism. <laughs> your, your brain's giving you a little reward because it's getting you away from the saber-toothed tiger. That's yeah. what that hardwired nature is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but you know, you drift away. You get you, you, the runner's high. It's essentially, mm. it's uh, when dopamine, norephedrine, and a little bit of cortisol is thrown into the mix. It's a little sweet spot there. You go into a flow state, not unlike a jazz muso or a comedian when they're in flow mm. and you know time dilates you you drift off you're not a care in the world this you is a really can't nice. feel pain is that you don't feel yeah the... momentarily that goes mm. away i remember this bizarre moment during the gold coast marathon my third one of those it was even the sound dropped off everything oh. just kind of went serene wow and it was you just like, you were dying or? wow, I saw a light, you know. <laughs> no, but it was really, it, it's just kind of really peaceful for a bit there. And But that's the thing, as soon as you recognise it and think about it, you're out you're of it out. again. It's like, right. ah. So it's like that, trying to remain, un- it's like trying to think about a dream mm. straight off uh, waking from it, you know. Did but, your partying, you know, you, you like to, to party. Mm. Um, 
uh, and your diet and everything? Did it all change once you started running? Kind of. Is that tweaking? Like it's funny because uh, I did get the fitness back in order and I lost a lot of weight, mm. but I still drinking and partying pretty hard. So all I was was just a fit asshole. <laughs> and for a year, I was an absolute terror. Right. Like, and then the missus straightened me out. Um, my wife, uh, you know, she just. I don't want to say she cracked the whip by any means, but she just wouldn't take any bullshit. Mm. She held me accountable to, you know, just be be a better man, mm. be a, you know, be a better partner. And then when uh, kiddo number one came through, it's like, well, no, there's the greatest evidence you need is just to be consistent, mm. you know. There's a lot more that goes into a marathon, isn't there, than just turning up on the day. Yeah, well, you, look, you can. You can just turn up in the day mm. and you'll be one of the many carcasses. That you, <laughs> oh, mate, it's amazing. It, you, that's what I was saying to Dilrook. Uh, I said, you wait for this, mate. You dig out a good, hard, solid 25. We know you can run half marathon. I said, on the day, you wait 25 to 32s where the fight starts mentally. Um, so by all means, you can turn up, give it a crack. Look, it's in you. You know, look at all those... Uh, Many, you know, the world's awash with displaced people, you know, and, you know, if, if it come to it, if your village was was uh, levelled and you had to get, you know, you had to haul ass 50 kilometres plus just to save your life, we can do it. Mm. But if you want to turn up and be competitive, it's a, I'd say I could turn you around in 12 weeks. Really? Yeah. I get it, you know. To run? To run 42.2. And in that 12 weeks, I get a gauge on uh, your numbers and set a goal for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the space of this podcast, I can see (laughs) if I can convert you. (laughs) Well, you've got a lot of work to do, I tell you what, mate. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but 12 12 weeks, seriously, just uh, and slowly uh, taking out the longer run by 10 to 15%. That's what the running magazines would say, but they don't want to be held liable for someone blowing out. I think you can you can take up your workload, you know, uh, 20% to a quarter each mm. each uh, each week as you're going out there. You only need to really run up to about 30, 30 Ks in training. You'll be able to find an extra 10 on the day. 30 Ks over those 12 weeks? Yep. So, yeah. So, for example, when we're um, prepping Dilruk for the for the run, uh, his longest run was 33K. So he went into the day a little bit like, oh, can I do it? And I'm like, yeah, you can do it. So many things on the day is the, you know, the vibe. You, you're surrounded by, you know, up to tens of thousands of other likewise people on the same journey. It's a great way to see the city from a different angle without being arrested. You know, walk down the middle of the road any other time of the year, you're going to get thrown <laughs> in a back of a, a wagon but great way to see a city uh you know the support the feeling uh free drinks yeah yeah you did know. you finish on the g as well yeah that's a nice touch so finish is that, on the mcg is that why you got into it because you're a cricket fan yeah, it's the only you way <laughs> it's the only way i can get a trundle <laughs> out there um oh mate the first time so i've had four i've been on the hallowed turf of the mcg Six times now. Twice when they used to let you jump the fence and have a kick after an AFL match. So a while back. And then once, uh, first time I finished my half marathon, I was heartbroken to see this poor lady who'd, she collapsed in the pocket in range (laughs) of the finish line. I've gone all the times to cramp, but she was a mess. Uh, And then the other three times, uh, yeah, coming home for the marathon. It's a nice feeling. Mm. A nice feeling. Just all the, the history that's happened on there. 
Yeah, totally. The hundreds, the goals kicked. Yeah. And Mickey D. You know, just lumbering, <laughs> coughing from the bottom of his lungs to get <laughs> over for a, a, a grubby 4.49. <laughs> when you see someone go down yep. during the 42.2, is there an instinct there that you, oh, shit, should I stop and help? But you've just got to, you yeah. can't afford to, can Mixed you? Mixed emotions. Yeah. Because if you stop, you've got to start again. Mm. And here's the other thing. You haven't trained to bend over and pull some up. That's mm. a different set of muscles. Mm. You could tweak. You could cramp. <laughs> <laughs> Something could throw you off yeah, in an instant. Like my first ever marathon uh, was in Edinburgh, which was nice because, you know, when I was feeling bad, I could just look to anywhere on the side of the marathon and go, well, look, I felt much worse there. Mm. I've, you know, there's enough of my DNA on the streets of Edinburgh to rebuild me, <laughs> you know. So it was, but then this kid has kind of some people will hose you down as you go past from their yard other people will just uh, you know cheer on other people will stare at you blankly going what are you doing <laughs> this kid you know those little watering cans with an arm mm-hmm. for the indoor plants yeah one of them and he's kind of flicked it and thrust it and it shot this bead of water right in my ear hole <laughs> and you couldn't you couldn't have planned this and it's just it it Fuck me. It really did. It's thrown me off me. I started. And there's other Throw times. Throw balance where, out, yeah, it? yeah, it really did. I was, you know, I had swimming pool here for 10K. <laughs> and then uh, I, then I laughed at just the ridiculousness of it. And mm. next thing you know, my rhythm's out and I'm cramping. Mm. So, so that, you need to really be in a train of thought. Yeah. And, no and lock in. Yeah, mm. lock in too. Because it's a mental game. It's, uh, you know, and you want to be repeating, keep, maintain the same form. Yeah, and just hold on for dear life. What do you generally think about when you're running? Lots of things. So the mind just wanders, mm. you know. Uh, dark stuff comes up. Yeah. You know, how's this for, you know, I'm going through enough already and then my brain pulls out this one. Why did you say that to her in year nine? <laughs> you dickhead. No wonder no one wanted to go out with you. It's like, well, why do I need to think about this now? I just want to finish my race and then uh, other stuff like, oh, Oh, yeah, that'd be that'd be a nice place to take wife for a birthday. Or, you know, other stuff like, yeah. oh fuck, I hope my I hope my phone's safe in my gear bag because they say don't leave your valuables. Uh, so you, that's the other thing. Oh, one marathon I was thinking of quitting, and then I've gone. Well, you can't quit, mate, because your hotel key and your phone is in your drop bag, and your drop bag is getting dropped. At the fucking finish. <laughs> so, and then I've done, then so what I'm thinking about now is uh, journey maths. I'm going, okay, well, well, your wallet's there too. So how are you going to blag your way down to the coast? It's mm. the city to surf in Perth. So it was about 12K. I'd have to walk up and over because it's the other thing. I'm going, okay, well, you can't drive there because the road's blocked and then it doubles back that way. So, and by then the 3K have gone. I've gone, well, just, you just got to have to fucking finish now, haven't you? So I, I got the hump. So there's so you got heaps of time. Well, you got up to three and a half, four. If you're having a bad day, you got a five and a half hours just to, you know, at, at odds with yourself or, you know, you're going through moments of elation. Uh, I've hallucinated before on an ultra marathon for free. You know, real bargain. Like you're seeing stuff sometimes. <laughs> You're an Adelaide boy, yeah. Originally, Adelaide. through mm-hmm. and through. Now you're still based there. Yeah. Uh, what part did you grow up in? I grew up down on the coast, a place called Largs Bay. Really mm-hmm. nice part of the world, idyllic. Dad worked at a, an oil refinery, and um, mum, stay-at-home mum, looked after us. And then when we were seven, 
Uh, he bought a pub. Really? Yeah. Whereabouts? In the Adelaide Hills. Again, Lovely. beautiful setting, open fires, you know, yeah. uh, creek for a young lad to explore, BMX track, footy oval. Dad yeah. sponsored the footy club so I could get a game. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? And I still got it. It's chucked in the back pocket. Excellent. So, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so that's when I started playing team sport early from about seven and a half, eight. I was playing footy and cricket. Uh, one of the ladies, I only thought of this the other day, I owe my cricketing and all my cricket CV and all the great friends I've met through cricket, uh, I owe that to a lady who I think purposefully uh, fucked up my tennis registration. Small town, hmm. she's seen me apply, she goes, nah, we don't want that mongrel bastard in the club. <laughs> Never processed it, so and it was like, oh, oops, no, we didn't get you registered. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, Michael. So I just went and played another year at cricket, and so you could was, have been. I could have, could been, have followed Leighton Hewitt. He was um, similar age, mate, Adelaide. Yeah, and look, at there's there's Adelaide's not big enough for two moody little <laughs> bastards with a chip on their shoulder. No, but I was a good kid, I reckon. Yeah, I'll tell you myself. Yeah, well, you you strike me as someone that might have. Been a little bit of a stirrer when you're all. Oh, yeah, younger. another cat amongst the pigeons. Mm. It's texture, you know. This if we're all if we're all the same and everything, everyone just got on for the sake of it. Oh, it'd be a fucking shit ride, wouldn't it? Be <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I love a shit stirrer, and that's always the, seeing the characters growing up in the pub, and and just how they interacted. It was it was great. So mm. I was exposed to that from about yeah seven. Do you think that made you grow up quicker because you were a little bit? Yeah, you were oh, men I'd say definitely. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the pub was on an army base. Yeah. So on a Thursday, these blokes would. I saw a bloke. I go and sit at the top of the stairs and, and listen to the jukebox. You know, Fox on the Run by the Sweet, uh, Led Zepp. You know, um, <laughs> and then you'd hear oh, a bloke walk. In, bloke starts chasing another bloke up the hallway. He's got a dart stuck in his arm. <laughs> Because, you know, and that's just a Thursday, yeah. you know, all this kind of exciting stuff. The most frightening thing I, I saw, and I think to this day it's right up there, is I for, saw a full-on girl fight. Like, Ladies yeah, punching on? Like the high-pitched screaming, the, the scratching, the the kicking, the biting. It was, it was terrifying. And then, you know, of course the blokes, hey, hey, come on, ladies, trying to break it up. And then they, both of them turned on the bloke so they could finish their own fight. And I'm watching it. I had balcony side seats. I'm looking <laughs> down. My bedroom's just there. So I've come out on the balcony and I'm watching this fight in front of my uh, mum and dad's pub. <laughs> and, you know, the other kids are going to go to school the next day thinking, you know, oh, yeah, mum and dad read me a bedtime story. I said, well, I had a live nightmare. <laughs> So yeah, that's. Uh, and you must have heard some good jokes, and you know had some stories to yeah, tell your mates back at school when you go back to primary school. Yeah, but they'd all look at me weird, and the teacher would overhear him and go, "Michael, um, <laughs> you know, I don't think that's kind of appropriate." <laughs> yeah, there's uh, one of the favourite uh, jokes was that, yeah, there was a prison warden that always would drink at our pub, and his name was John the Keeper. There was another bloke, Percy. Percy Steiner. Yeah, so Percy was like this old German bloke who kind of stoked the fires and he put out all the rubbish for us. And it was just too, it was easy to keep him on when we inherited the pub. We inherited him with the pub. It was just easier to keep him on than dad Dad do those jobs. Mm. And there was a few loose units that worked for us. And yeah, definitely saw a lot of stuff early. (laughs) 
So then you started stand-up at 17. Mm. So do you think you were maybe the material you will bring into the, the stage at that point was maybe something more of a 25-year-old because what you'd seen oh, at the pub, you'd, you'd, yeah. you'd lived a bit of a life I'd already. I'd a bit of a life, but, you, you know, uh, I owe a lot to my parents for a good education because it was, you know, my public speaking, seeing people present uh, in a number of fashions in the pub, <laughs> but I did high school debating. Uh, and my coursework for English Lit was my pride and joy. I I sacrificed my legal studies grade to prop up my English coursework, and mm. um, from there I was writing gags all through high school, and, and you know, every time we had an oral presentation, it could be one in economics, I'd still crowbar some gags in there. <laughs> and my, my first gig was at a high school was, uh, you know, because I do jokes, uh, you know, and I'd, I'd be try to be the life of the party, it was Maricel Reguar. Um, it was her 18th birthday. And Maricel is half Belgian, half Filipino. Um, so they were two hard families to please. Mm. Uh, either side of this, this kind of <laughs> function centre. So we had my, all the high school people were laughing and into it, but the family hated me because my <laughs> stuff was a bit raw. Okay. You know? So, <laughs> so speaking of raw, you did your first. Was that one of your first gigs in raw comedy? Well, yeah, it wasn't too far. So I'd be uh, gigged. The uh, first gig was 22nd of November 1997, about a fortnight out of high school, mm-hmm. uh, a formal lessons finishing rather. Then March the following year, 98, I was in the final, the finals of one, the final at SA, and then came second to Chris the Broke, Bloke Franklin. Wow, there you go. Yeah, in Melbourne. And you know, so all of a sudden, in the space of not even, you know, five and a half months, I'm I'm playing 1,400 people as a <laughs> pimply little plump <laughs> teenager from Adelaide. How, with gigs when you were under 18, were your parents... Did they I was, have to be no, with you? I turned 18 oh, on so, 12th November. Right. So everything okay. lined up quite nicely. Nice, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and I wouldn't drink a lot then. No, Justin mm-hmm. Hamilton worked the bar at uh, Bolt's Cafe where I started mm-hmm. and uh, me and my high school mates, he thought it was really uh, funny and we loved it. It was Carlton Draft on tap. <laughs> you make do what you do, but he put a shot of Quantro in there for us. <laughs> so we go and see uh, Justin Hamilton. He's the guy from the Bunter Boys. That was <laughs> Hamo was part of a double act called the Bunter Boys, and they were mm. oh, they were mind blowing. Yeah. Like for young boys who just finished year twelve, seeing the Bunter Boys in action was just like what a ride. And then on his night off, that's him behind the bar, and in his white shirt, and then he'd put, put Quantro in our beers, and we'd be blind. <laughs> It's just great. Living the life. Did you stay in Adelaide once you started or did you move to yeah, Melbourne? I was, yeah, I stayed in Adelaide uh, until, uh, yeah, so 98, uh, I was involved in the Fringe, but then at 2000, I won, uh, I won a Nescafe Big Break, so mm-hmm. you apply for a grant, uh, and it was a three-part tour. I was meant to do Adelaide, uh, the plan was Adelaide Fringe, Melbourne Comedy Festival, Edinburgh Festival. So I put this itinerary together and sent it to him and I, I made the short list and I was given a $2,000 grant. Lovely. Uh, yeah, I free, felt really proud. Bit of free Nescafe as well? Oh, yeah, it wasn't a coffee man back then. <laughs> but, yeah, I'll take their cash, but I didn't get the twenty grand. 
Ah, okay. You know, you got the 20 grand? Someone, I don't know how, uh, but, you know, it must be a need for it. Someone who invented and marketed a, essentially a bedside semen wipe. What? Yeah, you know, you have just tissue, aren't tissues fine enough? So someone, someone? someone had marketed and designed a formulated kind of And Nest Cafe cloth. put their... Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't... <laughs> All I know is who I lost to. I don't know the thinking of why that was more important than my potential comedy career or twenty thousand dollars to that. Yeah, well, you got to you got to mount the cum wipe somehow, I guess. So, so where did that ever take off, mate? And I'd know if it did because I had to as many sleepless nights after that. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reid. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellyer and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reid Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereid.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now let's get back to the podcast. Uh, at what age did you move over to the UK? Uh, ooh, so uh, twenty. So I'm yeah. twenty first. Uh, I went out, went out to the Edinburgh Festival for a recce in uh, in two thousand. Mm-hmm. So I was turning twenty one uh, that November. So August two thousand. I'm in Edinburgh, uh, and everyone that I met at the Adelaide Fringe, Mary Tobin was instrumental in introducing me uh, to Karen Corrin at the mm-hmm. Gilded Balloon. And so Michelle Buxton was uh, the box office manager uh, and a head of head of marketing uh, at the Adelaide Fringe. I just went into the <laughs> I went into the Adelaide Fringe box office wearing a fez and a sandwich board, <laughs> just shamelessly promoting my show and handing out flyers, and I. Uh, asked Michelle Buxton, can you please come to my show? And she invited Mary Tobin, and they both loved my show because it was like this 18-year-old boy just, you know, just giving it yeah. his very, very best. So Mary uh, introduced me to Karen Corrin there, um, and she put me on a show uh, with a bloke. You might have heard of him. Uh, his name was Russell Brand. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened to him? Uh, so I'm doing uh, I'm doing a shared bill with Russell Brand. Uh, my first paid gigs in the UK was uh, yeah. Had shared. you never travelled either before that? Was that your first? Yeah, first I, I travelled to Sydney for. Oh no, internationally. Yeah. No, so it was basically off straight off the plane at Charles de Gaulle. I uh, go and see my um, my mate Eve, uh, who was a Belgian exchange student. Spent yeah. some time with there. Uh, and then <laughs> from Belgium, booked a booked a bus to Spain. It was a long journey to, to go <laughs> night clubbing for uh, for a week <laughs> straight, uh, and then um, limp limped straight to Edinburgh. Wow! So then you did that recce. Did that recce? It was had a, obviously had a nice time. Have a good night, and then stayed. Stay, stayed, stayed on. Stayed on in uh, stayed on in Edinburgh, and then just. The goal was to then go to New York City, save some money. Got to get a job though. Mm-hmm. Do I work at the Odeon? 
No. Do I get a job working the bar on the grass market where all the other backpackers work? No. Where are you going to get a job, Mick? Oh, of course I'm going to get a job at KFC because <laughs> it's transferable skills. I work for the Colonel back in Australia. <laughs> oh, God, and it was fucking grim. Uh, it's so bad, but, you know, and I didn't tell them I was a stand-up. I didn't tell them what my mission was. I'd take all the shifts. I'd turn up and just do my shifts. And then one Christmas... Uh, or that Christmas, uh, I, I see this shining light in the restaurant. It's it's Adam Hills. Yeah. Hillsy's come to visit me because he wanted to know if it was true or not that I was working at KFC in Edinburgh. <laughs> so I've gone out and you said hi to Hillsy and the <laughs> Got him a two piece yelled feed? at me. Yeah, yeah, you go, Hillsy, have a two piece <laughs> feed, mate. And the manager yelled at me and mugged me. I felt like I felt like a flea. <laughs> just mugged me off in front of one of my heroes. Can you eat KFC to this day? I can, but I know it's in it. Right. You know. Chicken. Uh, partly. <laughs> chicken-like product. <laughs> you know, the lawyers will have you say it's chicken-like product. Enough salt in there to stop Essendon Footy Club from cramping. <laughs> there's a, seriously, there's a, mate, there's, it's a lot of salt. It's good, though. Mm. Yeah, it's good. A good bit of chicken is yeah. yeah, and it needs to be cooked properly. Mm. And it needs to, it needs to let settle. So it mm. comes out of the fryer, computerised fryer, pressurised, computerised fryer. Uh, it's called a collectromatic. What sort of oil are we talking? Uh, we're talking it's animal fat or veggie fat. Uh, you know, 156 degrees. It need, you need to stir it so the oil's all the same temp because mm -hmm. that reading's only taken from where the thermostat is. <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> and it comes out. But if you don't, if it's in a hurry... You've got to let it run its course. It has to be in there for its 15 minutes. Right. So the manager's like, Mickey, go like chicken out now. And I'm like, you can't, mate. It's <laughs> it's a system. He's going, you get that chicken out now. And I'm like, all right. Because he, in his eyes, it was more shameful to have late food than dripping wet, lipid-laden, <laughs> fucking creamy-coloured, half-cooked chicken. Like, the flesh was cooked, but the, the batter hadn't, you know, crisped. It was disgusting. And he just served that up because people in Scotland go, okay, if, if there's hot oil around it, it means it's cooked and safe. <laughs> you had a deep-fried Mars bar? Yeah, yeah, I've seen them over there. Mate, they taste like the cod, the cod that, the same, uh, it, that was cooked in the same oil. <laughs> <laughs> I got kicked out. I've been kicked out of many pubs in Scotland, but the, the strangest one was a guy seeing me come back in with a deep fried Mars bar <laughs> that looks like a battered turd. <laughs> he goes, "You out? No!" He just kicked me out because you just because we don't have them in here. They're banned yeah. because the amount of people take one bite, go, "Oh, fuck, it tastes like fish." Throw it on the ground, then hundred drunk pricks trounce a, a cod laden Mars bar into the turf. <laughs> How long did you last at KFC Edinburgh? Well, mate, it did me time. Uh, yeah. So I would have got the job uh, late September and batted through till <laughs> uh, <laughs> and batted through to like twelve Jan. Right, but Hogmanay, the <sighs> mate, New Year's that, Eve. Wow! So Hogmanay, New Year's Eve in Edinburgh is one of the greatest parties in is the it? world. Beautiful. It's like street party. They put this kind of fireworks, a cascades down over the uh, the rock wall there at the, the castle. castle. It was I've seen just that. They do stunning. that at the end of Edinburgh as well. Yeah. Mm. So, and it's 
and it's they call it snogmanay because <laughs> you know everyone's kissing everyone. Absolutely. I'm playing. I'm playing dumb. What do they call it? So everyone's kissing you. <laughs> I turn up. Um, I get back to the hostel. I pass out. I don't even make my bed. And someone's, uh, you know, someone's then put me back in my bed, which is up a couple of flights of stairs. And then my phone's ringing. Uh, I turn it off. The management comes up. Mickey, come on. you got to get up. Your work's ringing. And someone comes up five minutes later. Mickey, come on. you got to get up. What, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't have a job. I'm still blind drunk. <laughs> and I run up. The sh- I realise, oh, God, I'm, I'm working New Year's Day, which is the busiest day of the year in Scotland because everyone's hung over, over from double Hulk time today. and a half, is it as well? Yeah, it was, it was a good coin. I needed it for New York City. So mm. I got blinkers on, you know, for a bigger purpose. But triple pronger, uh, the the whole community wants greasy chicken for their hangover. Everyone I was out with um, ended up cancelling work. So I'm doing three people's jobs. <laughs> I get – but everyone's lovely. I run to work, everyone's smiling, give me the thumbs up, laughing, you know, all all good. And then I get to the door and I'm banging on the door, let me in, and the manager lets me in and goes, What's wrong with you? I've gone, No, I'm fine, mate. He goes, You had a big night, didn't you? I'm like, No, nah, I'm all right. He's going, Go and have a look at your face. And I go and look at my face. Someone's drawing a big cock <laughs> the length of my fucking face. I don't never fall asleep in a hostel, you know, common room. And they get the date on a happy new year, big, big cock on my face. So I did the shift. I would have vomited six times that shift. Just horror. Did you wipe the, get a wet wipe? That smell, that, al- that alcohol, yeah. it just kept me going. <laughs> So then you, sh- you shift down. Eventually, you you end up in Birmingham, UK. Yeah, well, that was the second time I've back. So I've come back. So you you had come back to Australia. Come back, between did a then. stint. So I come back every year. So that year, I went after KFC. Went to New York. Uh, t- lasted till after St. Paddy's Day because that was another time I blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> they do a big session there. Then come back to Edinburgh. Worked. Worked, uh, managed one of their youth hostels up in Perthshire. But I'd travel mm. back every Saturday with scones I'd bake to play for a local cricket club. Is that and that, right? Yeah, I'd play decent level cricket in Edinburgh, and we won the division three years in the oh. trial. Um, so that was that was great. Ye- years down the track, we celebrated, uh, you know, a little a little heavily, and I broke both my wrists. So I did the whole Edinburgh Festival with broken wrists. What were you doing? Uh, my best. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, oh, we're celebrating. So there's a pub, You've... and I'm heckling the seniors of the mm. mob we just knocked off by nine wickets, and my teammates hoist me up over the fence so I can oh. give them a, a full. It's three foot high, uh, <laughs> three foot higher on the other side. It's a sunken ground, and I've gone down and snapped both my wrists. Oh. It was a, so I go up a week. Even even when I was living in the down in London, or uh, I'd go up two weeks, three weeks early before the festival starts and help Certainly. bring them home. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm still in contact with uh, the boys at Drummond Trinity Cricket Club. That's great, great bunch of lads. And how how did you get on performing with two broken wrists? Oh, mate, it was great. It was probably my, 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 so I was on uh, a good lot of painkillers, mm. and they say don't drink, but try to say that to a young bloke in Edinburgh. Lost a lot of weight. The weight had fallen off me. <laughs> uh, everyone's giving me attention. Uh, Did you get any Adam, shifts back at KFC with you? Look, they wouldn't. I was a I was a health risk because <laughs> I couldn't clean under the casts. Uh, but 
Adam Hills, again, was uh, a big help. He he said, look, if there's one show uh, you want to see, he always gives people plugs. And he, he at that stage, he was playing uh, one of the main rooms at the Pleasance Courtyard. He was in front of 700 people every night. He was saying, go and keep an eye out. You can't miss him. He's a bloke with two plaster casts. <laughs> he's, he's from my hometown, Adelaide. He's a good lad. He's got a good show. It's at the Gilded Balloon. So yeah. people were coming and my show was Chockers. Great. But I was off my head. I was on I was on Kokodamol or some other stuff. I don't know. I I, I didn't shit for a fortnight. It was, it was so I had to be barbiturates uh, yeah. and lots of beer. But everyone was stitching me up. People yeah. were going hold this for me, Mick. Going there's a shelf there. Not thinking twice. People give me two pints to hold. <laughs> and then someone puts their hands up my skate shorts and tickles <laughs> my balls. You know that kind of fun stuff. And other people, the Scottish people, thinking it's a, a gimmick. Oh, they're no broken. Like <laughs> twisting my casts and. It was, a long, it was a long month, but people were t- but people were turning up. I was still living in a youth hostel, so I had to try to find a way in a fourteen berth dorm with two plaster casts doing festival hours. So people getting up and putting on a hair dryer in a fourteen berth dorm. I think this is the my patience at its at its breach was someone that she'd stopped brushing her hair for a brief moment. Uh, and she's gone to turn it on again. She's turned it on again. I'm like, oh, I've lost my rag. She turned it off to carry on brushing her hair, and I said, I fucking dare you <laughs> to turn that on one more time. And, and I was, I, I sounded that tough. I kind of frightened myself and couldn't get back to sleep because I was like, oh, I'm not pretty tough. <laughs> and so you eventually decided to stay on in the UK, and you didn't come back here for a while, right? Yeah, so there, it was. I had two or three cracks because I've come back and I, um, I remember Granddad supporting me uh, to get back, and it's kind of it was a tough one because you know he he said, "Look, go here's uh, here's a loan. Don't want it back. You get back out there and you do your thing." Mm-hmm. So I've come back. Um, I held up a I held up a year in Edinburgh. I did a fest. I did a two hander with Hamo, mm-hmm. and then he kind of talked me into coming home. So I've come home, changed. I got on the same flight and come home with Hamo. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then uh, yeah, got a job in childcare in Adelaide, Is that right? saving money again. Yeah, because I did my bachelor of education, got oh. halfway through that. Okay, Boy, yeah. and I was a camp. I was a camp leader mm. uh, for Edmund Rice camps. So what year are we talking here? So this is around 2001 mm-hmm. now, into 2002. Yeah. And so uh, Teddy, granddad, uh, you know, helps get me back over there to do um, my first solo in, in Edinburgh. And then after that, 2002, I kind of I, I dug in, stayed, stayed in London um, for 10 months a year mm. uh, for the next five or so. Right. So you just keep and just coming back here. For Come a, back for the fringe because yeah. be my big earner in Adelaide. Keep yeah. that, uh, you know, keep that audience ticking over. See the family. Yeah, uh, I do a bit of road show as well. Mm. Uh, Mary Tobin uh, hooked me up with that was this was this was a highlight doing a three hander at the RMIT Capital with Rod Gilbert and Stephen K Amos. Wow. The best of Edinburgh Fest, great. Which is it's kind of weird because everyone was like that. An Aussie would come out and they go, ah, yeah. I could see you anytime. It's like I've been, I've been in it. I broke my wrists in Edinburgh. <laughs> so yeah, I'm still keeping my hand in out here, 
but the majority of the time was, and it was tough in London back mm. then. You know, you had people like uh, I was rubbing shoulders with like Glenn Wall, Steve Hughes, Jim Jeffries, mm. you know, uh, Phil Nickel, Tony Law, uh, you, you, people, Jimmy Carr, all these. Mm. All these absolute legends. Kitty Flanagan was crushing it out there, and just like that kind of, that kind of level, I was like, "Oh, why do I bother turning up?" Mm. You know. So it was that kind of pressure cooker environment that yeah. you really set a yardstick for me to kind of aspire to. And you had your first child in the UK as well, didn't you? No. Here's the thing, uh, Grace was, con- you know, between us, she was conceived <laughs> in the UK. Uh, <laughs> I could tell you where, but that's weird. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, but she was born in a, born in South Australia mm-hmm. and then eight weeks in went back went back with the newborn ah. to put in it would it's gonna be eighteen months. Of course. But yeah. it, everything uh you know, and the focus wasn't really to work. It was, you know, for Boo to be around her family and um them to, you know welcome and help bring mm. up grace and work kicked on quite nicely for me there because you you got to earn as well mm. but um yeah i had some good breaks out there did a bit of did a bit of telly and just you could gig more regularly there yeah. and now i'm off the booze how good was driving to gigs <laughs> i could drive home and i wouldn't hit you know what i mean so so it was uh yeah great time that was a really good five years yeah. out there and the good thing is now i can i can pick up the phone and just Say, look, here, I'm coming back. Can you line up some stuff? And yeah, you've kind of got that both. Yeah, so both I can sides go, of the, go back yeah. and forth, which is really good. And you've I'm, done I'm, enough yards in each place to yeah have those I'm, contacts. I'm, I'm lucky to, that the people that were you know um, kind to of me at the start, I've been I and I've paid that forward. And mm. now those people that I paid it forward are up the top of the chain in the UK, and <laughs> they're going, "Oh, come on, mate, yeah." You looked after me. I, I'm gonna pay pay some back. So it's a really good uh, it's a really good industry in that sense when we yeah. all look out for each other. Yeah, you've done comedy all over the shop. You've yeah. done comedy all different parts of the world. One of the most interesting ones you've done is a gig on Mount Everest. Yes. So tell us about that. What year was that? Oh, that was uh, 2016, um, and I'm I'm really really lucky to be involved in that. Um, it was myself and three other. Top blokes, great comics. Um, there's Martin Moore, uh, Wayne Deacon, and Tom Rigglesworth. So a Northern Irishman, uh, an Englishman, uh, a, a grumpy Richmond supporter, and me. <laughs> oh God, Deacon's great. He 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 kept ripping the piss out of me because I was I was vegan at the time. And if there's, a, if there's a tell me if there's a better place in the world to be a vegan. Mm. You know. Absolutely and, not. And um, and he's and if you listen to this, Deacon, you always make fun of me for being a vegan at that time, like it was a trend. But at least I carried my eighteen kilogram pack the whole nine days, <laughs> you soft cock, right? It, all the everyone else was just happy to pass their all their belongings onto the yak train and have our have our guides carrying up there. Now, look, mm. I want to I want to set a lot of people straight. So, if you ever go up to ever go up to Nepal, it's a beautiful part of the world, some of the most kind people in the world. A lot of people saying, "Oh, so my Sherpa?" Mm. You, that's 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 so incorrect. You can't say that. It's like saying, "Oh, yes, yeah, so I had I had a Maori do my lifting for me." Really? You, you can't. No, these people. You know, it's their culture. They're, they're Sherpa people, but you mm. can't claim them right they're not yours, yours. Yeah. this is i had a sherpa no no you, you you had a guide that 
carried your ass yeah. up some of the most brutal switchbacks uh, in a three-hour haul of your life. That was so inspiring, our guide. Um, we had Lapka, um, we had Babu and Galjin. And mm-hmm. Galjin had summited twice. Wow. Just amazing. And just, you know, when somebody has a warmth about them that comes through experience, that cool, calm, collected mm-hmm. nature, he had what I call the stillness. But in, in that peace, that inner peace, he still had time to be warm, loving, and genuine. And I connected with him because I'm, I'm a parent. So mm-hmm. that broke the ice. And he also liked my saying, because when we got up to altitude, it gets fucking cold. Mm. There's no, no timber up at altitude. So what, what do you burn? You, you burn yak turds. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm like, should we throw another turd on the fire? I was the, <laughs> I was the funny guy. And he, he started saying it. And I'm like, oh, this is great. But, um, yeah, to get up uh, – and I was, I was called in – there's a couple of cancellations. So I got, I got word through the comedy network that there was a couple of places going. Martin Moore had been picked up last minute. Uh, Deacon was in. Tom Rigglesworth was in. I remember hearing about it first of all when Glenn Wall started training for it. Mm-hmm. So but what what was the idea behind it? That you're going to do a gig? <clears throat> yeah. On- so we're going to trek with. It was for Save the Children. Mm-hmm. Really, really excellent uh, charity that do great work globally. Um, and there was a, a gent that put it all together. He he'd trekked that itinerary before mm-hmm. and come up with a great concept. Uh, so it would have been there were 15, uh, 20 positions for um, comedy fans who also love trekking to come and be part of the audience. Okay. So they raise a minimum amount, uh, including and that cut you know to cover their flights and a common a minimum amount for the charity, um, and then the four comics uh, again we we had some flights covered, but we had to of course raise a minimum amount as well, mm. and we go up there. So, um, and how how high were you performing it? Yeah, so base camp, uh, five thousand three hundred and fifty six. Someone will probably write in and correct me, but it was <laughs> high. Uh, but here's the here's the other thing: we we were just south of base camp, so we were still at altitude, but we were down by the southern helipad. So uh, the actual helipad in the guts of base camp, we walked to after the gig mm-hmm. because one of our um, our expedition doctors said, let's go and meet the doctors without borders up there. So who, they volunteer up at base camp in – when shit goes south uh, up at altitude, you need proper health professionals mm. and, you know, they can do immediate stuff there, but you'd be hel- helloed straight back down the – back down the glacier yeah. to, you know, um, Lukla and then flown down to Kathmandu. So we went and met the uh, the Kiwi team, the American climbing team, and it's a big job if you want to climb Everest, which if you said to me tomorrow, yeah, Mick, here's the 50 grand, would you do it? And I would, I'm like, nah. So you, so you pay that money to a professional... Who takes you up? Yeah, well, that's what it costs. Like the base, like for uh, and and good on the Nepalese um, government or the whatever kind of department that puts that kind of price tag on a uh, what would you call it, a permit? Mm. 
because the amount of traffic up through there is monstrous. It's and, out of control the, now, the, isn't it? Yeah, the yeah. waste. And you saw the lineup in the most mm. recent climbing season. It's deadly. Mm. And so, and you know, the poor bar, there isn't there isn't a clean away service there. There's no garbos coming in on a Thursday. Yeah. The porters have to carry it all the way back down the mountain. And the shit that the the shit that can't just wash down the waterways because the bacteria will poison the villages down the mm. way. So it's massive traffic means massive logistics, which are near impossible on yeah. those mountain tracks. So how, how much training did you have to do before you got going? Like, did you have to do a lot of... Um, no, not heat. No. Thankfully, I was a walk-up. My fitness was at a level where I could just slot straight in. Okay. I, I did Martin Moore and I. Martin's a, a bit of a beast. Mm. Uh, so we just maybe... Did. During the fringe, we went out for four sessions. Just put some, uh, just put some bricks in our backpacks and mm. walked a few hours of hills in the Adelaide Hills, uh, and then, yeah, then we just got into it. Carried mm. our pack, and you know, by day four, like the the guides are brilliant. They know just how hard to push you. Everyone's mm. of mixed ability, and there were plenty plenty of breaks. So you put in a four hour shift. Have tea or have lunch. Another, f- you'd rarely be walking for more than six to eight hours a day, okay. considering you know. And how long did it take you to get to base camp? Base camp took us, uh, let's say, seven days. Okay, and then how far is the summit from there? We're still three kilometers below it. Right, it's just incredible. Mm. So it's and then there's there's two more camps directly above uh, above you, but you have to hook up and around. This is after. Uh, it's straight up. There's a lot of ice climbing to begin with. Uh, I don't know the name of the glacier. I should. I was there. But just seeing some of the old boys who, you know, their job, they're wearing high-vis, and these old Nepalese dudes just, um, and this is it. It's a job, Mm. and they're doing it for the family. They're called ice doctors, and they go up there and they relash all the ropes that are holding (laughs) together the ladders, and they're tapping away to see the likelihood of a... Mm. Of another avalanche because you know temperatures change, mm. amount of traffic through there, all these little factors, a little bit oh, of a seismic know. shift like there was a few years back in Kathmandu. Bang, everything comes down. Mm. And when I was there, we met people that had returned to finish what they started, which was their Everest, literally. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, "Oh yes, I was I was here for during the avalanche. <laughs> oh, were you? I wish this was a joke. The bloke's name was." <laughs> Jules Mountain. <laughs> uh, he was a British climber, and like back in the day, he, posh, posh Jules, he would have been in a knight of the realm back in the day. Yeah, right. but this is he was a proper, you know, uh, Oxford blue steel type dude. Yeah, and yeah, he was he's a mountaineer. Wow, and he was back. How because, old do you reckon? Oh, he would have been in his fifties, chiseled, fit as you like, mm. hyper focused, and as as it was, everyone you mm. knew you go that's someone who's going to summit, that's someone who's here to summit because mm. it was two years in the making to have that kind of fitness, mm. two months thereabouts on average in a holding pattern at altitude because you, you, your lungs have to get yeah, used to it, don't and they? you got to and you got to wait for your window because you know what you, the Gulf Stream. He's more or less directly above the peak, mm-hmm. all bar, let's say, six weeks a year. So that shifts twice, only a matter of 300 metres from the peak. Otherwise, you'd be, you'd be blown off the ah, peak. So there's, right. only, yeah, there's a couple of climbing seasons that, yeah. you know, that's safe. Did, um, you, did you feel short of breath at, at base camp? Did you feel y- yeah, your you lungs? Couldn't, 
you couldn't really kick on. Like your your qualities would be gassed quicker, you know, mm. and you feel like that lactic if you've been doing hard eight hundred meters. Yeah, you know, or, or <laughs> you do hill sprints on a Thursday. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course you do. Um, but that kind of feeling, like, and the day before Mount Kalabatar, which is. Five thousand six or five thousand seven hundred. So yep. you're getting a you're getting a view. It's where you go to take your photos of base camp, or get a snapshot of the peak of yeah. Everest itself. Did and you we're see up the, there? Just you, gassed. Like yeah, every right. other step was like, oh, this is, this is. I'm walking in molasses. <laughs> Got no juice. Yeah. So doing that, you have no interest to go to the top after getting a taste like that. I, it's tricky. A lot of people ask me, and I'm like, oh, nah, I'm, I'm a little bit shit scared because it's mm. like some of those you've you've seen the film. Oh, there's dead bodies all yeah, over. There's there. a fair few. It's yeah. like you know, there's other ways to nick a Rolex. Yeah, you know, there's there's, there's a lot of bling up there on the way back yeah. down. But, you know, you stop stop to think. I was I was asked to do a radio. Every time someone carks it on the way back down, people ring me up and get me to do a radio interview. I'm like. You, you realise I'm a comedian. No, you know, just, look, I'm, I've got to. I'm not going to. You just stick to the Adelaide Hills for now, then. Well, you know they they'll sting you. <laughs> they really will. There's some real bastard climbs in Adelaide. Well, I, I saw a goat with a nosebleed the other day. It was. It was it, that's the attitude that we're talking there. He was. He was angry too. <laughs> Almost time to wrap it up. Before we do, got a couple of requests actually. Uh, I would like you to do one thing for me. Sure. Before we wrap it up. All right. Um, it's a part of one of your jokes. Right. And I've told mates about it because <laughs> I can't describe how good you do it. But you do a magpie sound. Oh, right. Which I've never heard anybody else do before. Oh, thanks, mate. I'm not talking like me. I mean no one. Like maybe bird callers can do it. But I just... It's it's. How did you learn to do this? It's, it's quite uh, well, a skill. A lot of time outdoors, mate. <laughs> the missus goes, get up the hill. You're shitting me. Uh, so it's the... Is the harmonics the that noise? Yeah. The, and the, the whistling, and then and then you just got to warble it a little bit. So right. it's a. Well, that was a good one. That's it? it's that says morning to me. Like I love, it's a, and I I miss it when I go away. So you do a big long one. And then. Uh, now I'm smiling. That's the thing. You can't do it when you smile. Okay. So, yeah. You need to be... Like that. Yeah. Excellent, And sometimes mate. I can get them to sing back to me. Oh, yeah? yeah. Have a little chat. It's just, it's nice if you've been on a long run. And you just <laughs> oh, miss, I miss civilization. <laughs> so what's uh, what's coming up for you in 2020? Where can people check you out? You're going to yeah. do all the festivals again? You'll be in Adelaide, obviously. Yeah, Adelaide's the fave. Love mm. Adelaide. Uh, keep in touch with me just on my Insta, at yeah. Adventure Mick. I'll be yeah. putting my stuff up on there. Uh, and, and sometimes when I do a big, stupid, long ultra marathon or training run, I'll put it in my story there. Documented, You can, you can yeah. see someone just at odds with themselves, you know, mm. going, why don't I have a proper <laughs> fucking hobby? Um, and so no marathons at the moment either because you got a bit of an injury from last mate, weekend, didn't you? Carrying a little bit of tendonitis in the front of the – Poor there, mm. um, but now I'll bounce back. I'm off to India uh, for my 40th birthday. The missus is uh, – you've been to Pune, haven't you? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, so I'm going to visit some mates down there. I'm going to run a marathon, the Goa River Marathon. Oh. And there's also – there's an ultra marathon I'm going to run in Uti, yeah. uh, which isn't – I just looked on the maps. not flat. So, okay. so I'll be – 
keep an eye out for my uh, – have a look on my Insta there because I'll be posting that stuff. <laughs> um, and then next year is just basically Perth Fringe World, Adelaide Fringe. Come along mm. and see me at Adelaide Fringe. I might be coming to Melbourne for a couple of cameos. Okay. I love the Comics Lounge um, and I love um, doing stuff in Sydney. So Sydney Comedy Festival – lines up with the Ultra Trail Australia, the 100K race. <laughs> it's weird because... Do you find the, yourself I book around. Yeah. Yeah, I book around major marathon. city marathons. <laughs> hey, Josh Armstrong, mate, you uh, you know, can I get some gigs around July, first, uh, first week in July? He goes, yeah, why? Well, I'm a marathon. <laughs> and I like your gigs. Yeah, yeah. yeah good gigs. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I book around wherever there's a race and a comedy night and I'll yeah. be at it. All right. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll plug all your stuff in the in the wrap up anyway. But uh, Mickey D, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Thanks so much mate. for taking it easy with me today. My pleasure. Cheers. Hey. Thanks very much for listening. As Mick said, you can get around him on Instagram. He's under Adventure Mick on Instagram. All one word, Adventure Mick. Uh, Mick Dwyer is what he goes by his real name. Uh, you can also get around him on Facebook, Mick Dwyer Comedian. You can check him out there. Also, if you ever see the name Mickey D on a lineup around Australia, go to the show, check him out. He's absolutely fantastic. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, this episode, or the podcast in general, please tell your friends. Word of mouth is very nice. Uh, if you listen to it on Spotify, send your friends there. If you listen to it on Apple Podcasts, send your friends there to listen to it as well. On Apple Podcasts, you can leave a nice rating or a comment. That'd be much appreciated. You can also listen to it on my website, danielconnell.com.au. While you're on the website, may as well check out the gigs page for all my upcoming shows. Got a lot of stuff around Melbourne, uh, Sydney and Perth coming up, and also 2020 festivals are coming up pretty quickly. Uh, You can also check out videos on there. Got all sorts of stuff. Um, Enjoy. Uh, And if you're in a a bit of a liking mood, you can jump on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page, Daniel Connell Comedy, and Instagram page, Daniel Connell Comedy. Give that a like and get around those. I'm also on Twitter. I don't use that often, I must admit, but you can get around that too if you're feeling it. That is at Daniel Connell 3 uh, That is about it. Thanks very much for listening and take it easy. <laughs>